Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line, Matt. I mean, again, the old baseball recap, we can't uh, have an episode without that. But I watched, actually, for the listeners out there, I, you know, I don't get an opportunity to watch too many games, but I did catch a game. We were at out for dinner with the family there on Saturday, and their game was on TV, but I don't think they won the Saturday game. I forget who they were playing, but give us a recap, if yeah, you could. Yeah, so <laughs> weekend series against the Braves. The Braves, that's who it and, was. Yeah, so tough road trip in as much as... They went, what, I think three and four. White Sox and Braves had some pretty good games, kind of disappointing losses. There was one day we put up like 21 runs. Mm. And normally when the Astros put up more than 10 runs, the bats just like go quiet the next day. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way, I'm. it's like disappointing that we didn't compete as well as we would hope. But the other part of it is I want a little bit of humility. We've had some really big wins. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I don't want to go into the playoffs thinking that we've got this. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I didn't realize, too, I was looking how many games ahead we are in our division. Like, aren't we, like, 11 yeah. games ahead or something? Crazy? Yeah. So, I don't think the division's the problem. If we, we're about three and a half games ahead of the Yankees as far as best record in the AL. Right. Which would give us home field advantage during the playoffs. So, that's kind of the next thing to oh yeah to reach for. Nice. I love it. Well, I'll be, you know, now that we're getting closer to playoff time, I'm starting to get, you know, trying to dial it in a little bit you know being in houston i gotta keep my finger on the pulse of the astros but fortunately we have matt here to give us the updates well matt you know i'd like to know more about you know something that came up and it's not something that we talk about a lot on the floor line but it's certainly important phpa and amines you know and how they replaced glycols in water-based mud you know again so that's kind of the topic and this came from a, a listener question correct yes So thanks for reaching out over LinkedIn. I'll keep you anonymous, but uh, appreciate the thought. And and hopefully we answer your question thoroughly here over the next few minutes. Perfect. And again, I'll I'll reread, but the the question essentially is getting to know more more about PHPHPA and amines, how they replace glycols in water-based mud, the importance of CloudPoint, and how can this property affect the glycol's performance? Anyway, so let's go ahead and get that started. Matt, why don't you go ahead and discuss, give us an outline of what glycols are. Yeah, so I think big picture, before I even get into this, I just want to point out that I don't know if glycols, if amines and PHPA actually replaced glycols. I think it depends on where you're using it and that sort of thing. I think they're all still tools in the toolbox. Glycols probably being the worst, I don't know worst is the right word, but like the least understood in areas where it's not used very much. And one of the reasons that glycols are, you know, maybe not as popular is, is first and foremost cost. But the interesting thing about glycols is they sort of tie together clay platelets. Basically, the theory, and there's pr- different theories, right? But the idea is, you know, water sort of hydrogen bonds with clay layers, and th- that facilitates hydration. But glycol is sort of outcompeting that water so that it can't work its way into clay platelets and cause them to swell. So, you know, this also, glycols offer some decent lubricity because they tighten up the filter cake, those little droplets. But getting into CloudPoint, CloudPoint was a really interesting thing way back when because you'd have like five different glycols you could order depending on the CloudPoint. 
And the idea is that above a certain temperature, the glycol becomes insoluble or clouds out. And it was those little droplets, those emulsion droplets that were actually doing the sealing or doing the you know mechanism that did the work. And so the argument was you wanted to match your cloud point to the bottom hole temperature. Ah, right. My observation is over time, people didn't want all these cloud point glycols in inventory, and they ended up just using them all and keeping the like middle of the road one. Mm. And basically, I think what most people have come to realize is that you don't actually need the cloud point to be like the cloud point matters less. Like glycols provide inhibition below their cloud point. So there is a lot of arguments as to why and that sort of thing. But glycols, the idea was that when it was soluble on surface or whatever, it had a much better environmental profile. And then downhole, it made these little emulsion droplets. And that was your inhibition mechanism. They're expensive. They didn't deplete as rapidly as some other additives, which is why people think it was sort of like a blocking mechanism and not that it was just like had to tie up to a certain number of cations and clay or something like that. But glycol with a little bit of salt does a great job with inhibition. And I've, I've alluded to in the past, you know, when you're doing exploration work, this was a nice environmentally friendly, reasonable system. We use this a ton in Indonesia. You know, AES, we actually have a glycol additive because it's expensive. We usually use other things, but it just goes to show like it remains in the toolkit. Right. So I think that's a big picture glycol. And I think the cost is sort of, you know, pushed it away. And then we get into like PHPA, which is generally pretty cheap. Okay. So we love us some PHPA and, and basically it's these long chain polymers. The branches stick on the char positively charged ends of clay platelets. And that basically limits water invasion. But we also know that PHPA and its kind of brothers and sisters and cousins acts as a flocculant too, right? Yeah. So we can use it to a point, but when we need dispersion, when we want to break a system over, PHPA might, you know, diminish as our primary additive. And I'd point out that there are certain PHPA or acrylamide type products that we would use with a glycol system too. So okay. they can team up. And the same is true with amines. So I think the big thing with amines originally, they worked really well. They had a horrible environmental footprint that stuff got better. You know, an amine basically, depending on the size or molecular weight, it will actually get in and cause a cation exchange inside the clay to limit water invasion, basically pull the play, clay platelets closer together. But it, it also, having these longer arms would ab absorb onto the side of the clay platelets and, and limit water invasion. Gotcha. So, I mean, amines work great. They're probably the most common that we talk about. They're not cheap. European gas prices <laughs> is probably going to make them more expensive. Right. And so those three, I think when we talk about, you know, look, if I'm going my cheapest, I'm going to start with PHPA, right? If I need to beef it up, I might go with a little bit of amine. Right. Glycol jumps in there at some point because it does do a good job as a shale inhibitor and it adds that lubricity. But if, unless I have a, you know, fairly sensitive environmental footprint, I may be able to go different, cheaper routes than glycol. So... I think the, you know, the big picture, and it's a good question because you just don't hear about glycol very much. Right. I still think they're, they're very good products, but it depends on if it's the cheapest solution. And if you can't get there with, you know, for example, the high-performance water-based muds that had the amine, the low molecular weight encapsulator, which is basically a baby of PHPA, and then a ROP enhancing surfactant. So you put all that together and those worked really, really well without the glycol. Oh. They also weren't cheap. 
So I think basically what you have is glycol's expensive, amines got better, but we can mix and match these things to get kind of the best of many worlds if we need to for shale inhibition. Yeah, no, and that's, a, I mean, that's a great kind of overall summary in the, as, to, as to kind of the evolution of, of how that happened. And and again, you know, just for the listener, again, that's a, it's a fantastic question. And I would imagine with the question, you know, this individual may have, have you know, a, a fair amount of experience because I would say mud engineers that have come out, you know, into the industry within the last few years or even last five years, like probably wouldn't have even recognized that, like, unless during mud school, they may have talked about it. But, but either way, it is a good question. And I mean, I remember back in mud school, you know, we played with it in the lab, I think a little bit and it was talked about, but yeah, like since, you know, in my career, I haven't been involved with a project that, that used a glycol. And if I do, I don't re- recall, but yeah, I mean, over time, economics change the price to, to get the materials to, to manufacture, to get this glycol into a, a bucket or a tote or whatever, those things are constantly, you know, very dynamic. And so sometimes when the economics don't make sense. You have to come up with different alternatives and different substitutes. And yeah, PHPA and amines has, has certainly you know done the job for a number of years. And again, I, I've mentioned this, I'm sure, plenty of times on the podcast, but in, back in the motherland there in Canada, these are very prominent in water-based muds in the upper hole section. And so it they provide good inhibition. They're cost-effective. And yeah, you can really keep the you know well bore stable. And the PHPA helps with solids control too a little bit there. So but yeah, no, I mean, if uh, if anyone out there has any experience using glycols currently, the product was used a lot during offshore operations, was it not at some point? I used it a ton in exploration work offshore. You could, you know, it was benign enough, you could dump it overboard. It was, you know, provided some lubricity, but exploration work, you're generally drilling pretty vertical. So it was just, it was a good, I don't know what I'm running into and it didn't deplete as rapidly. So you put some in the system and, and you can measure concentrations, which... You can do that with amines, but glycols was little refractometer like you'd use for antifreeze. Cause exact same thing, actually. So anyways, I think glycols are used in places where they're already being used. And everywhere else, we've either made a shift or it's just we, we, didn't, we didn't need all of those things. But I think the amine environmental footprint may have helped displace glycol as well. Interesting. Um, so... Yeah, I'd be real interested to hear from any listeners who are who are using it now, why they're using it, that sort of thing. But I think it's a really good question because people haven't having a conversation about cloud point with glycols goes way, way back. And yeah. I remember us being like, you know what, we're gonna just pick the mi- one in the middle because I'm tired of carrying five different ones depending <laughs> on somebody's thought of what they needed, and we never had a problem. Right. So perfect. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for the question. And, and for any listeners out there, we love hearing from you guys. And if you, know, if you have questions or thoughts or even just you know, want to share a story that, that we could share on the podcast, we'd love to do so. You can reach out to Matt or I on LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. Please like, share, and send us a review. And with that said, everyone, take care for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.